It's once again time to join that virtual campfire we call Building a Better Story World. I'm your host, Steele Filipek, producer, writer, transmedia expert, professor, and most importantly to you, your guide to multimedia success. This is the podcast for all of you dreamers who have a gigantic narrative universe to share. You might be starting from square one. You may have some trophies on your wall. You may just be here for the ride. Whoever you are, thank you so much for joining me in this episode. We're continuing on in our series of pragmatic tips and tricks to help your stories and story worlds take the next step toward becoming the darlings of all your fans out there. We've dealt with exposition, juxtaposition, dialogue, and critique. Now comes time for what I call the test run. Like a game or a novel or a sports car, you wouldn't put your work in front of the world without putting it through some sort of checkup to make sure all of the parts are humming. What do I mean by parts? It's whatever you have in your world that you think is important to it functioning. Some people like crunchy worlds, that is, worlds with lots of rules, magic, science, history, and mechanics. The master entrusts his prized pupil Hoodmeister with a mysterious box and sends him into the desert. His other pupils, known as the Five Wise Men, then use the Book of Prophecies to go into the future and cast a magic spell in order to save the world from darkness. Soon afterwards, the Five Wise Men turn on each other because of a cat, plunging their armies into conflict and consequently ending the entire world. I take it you're talking about Kingdom Hearts. Other worlds are more realistic, and so it's more important to make sure that the characters, their wants, and desires are all in accord with what people expect in everyday situations. If I win, everybody will say, well, of course he won. He's a top-ranked player. But if I lose... You won't lose, Josh. No matter what kind of world you have, its elements all have to function together. If you create a world that focuses on lower-class individuals, you can't write a story about one of them buying a Ferrari for the sake of a killer story unless you make sure it feels authentic. Even silly story universes that seemingly strive to break all the rules only find success when they stick to a few basic elements that make sure every adventure therein feels like it's part of a cohesive world. And to describe Bugs Bunny, I'd say uh, he's not a person like Woody Woodpecker would go out and, b and bother anybody. He has to be provoked. And we learned that. It was very important that he be provoked, because otherwise he'd be a bully. For that reason, and if you're taking part in the prompts, let's figure out what kind of story world you're looking to create. I want you to write down a number, from 1 to 10, about how rule-heavy your world is. A 10 would be something akin to the works of Orson Scott Card, Ursula K. Le Guin, or Frank Herbert, or other worlds of complex fantasy or science fiction. These are the worlds that need a lot of rules, because they are so alien to our own. The worm is the spice. The spice is the worm. A one on this scale might be something like a sitcom, say Cheers, Two Broke Girls, and Chef are largely built in the quote-unquote real world, but they had to maintain a sense of reality when it came to the service industry so that it wouldn't be completely alien to those watching them. Excuse me. Waitress. Dude. Hi, what can I get you? We need some. Is that annoying? Is that obnoxious and rude? Would you find it distracting if someone did that to you while you were working? Oh, you don't have a job, sorry. <laughs> your world will probably be somewhere in between. Be honest with yourself about how alien this world is, and how many rules you have. 
I would err on the side of thinking your world is more complex than it is, because you can always dig deeper into your world to find more potential solutions or problems. Just make sure you write your number down and a sentence-long explanation for why you chose that number. These will be important later. Let's get to the case study for today. It's one of my favorite story universes. It spawned three, soon-to-be-four films, a pair of television series, numerous comics, games, and more. Ghostbusters began as the brainchild of Dan Aykroyd, a lover of the paranormal. His initial pitch envisioned a team of supernatural exterminators of ghosts in a future world where such a service would be akin to firefighters or pest control. This shifted relatively quickly for a few reasons. The first was that such a vision would be radically expensive, particularly in the special effects world of the late 70s and early 80s. The second is that it would take far too long to explain all of the various oddities, from future tech to the supernatural to the progress of society and more. Lastly, all of this would have taken away from the comedy that was at the core of the property. With grandmasters on board like Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, and Rick Moranis, it would have been a waste of their talent to have them detailing rules when they could be improving or riffing on the content. Egon, this reminds me of the time you tried to drill a hole through your head. Remember that? That would have worked if you hadn't stopped no. me. That being said, the concept of exterminators of ghosts was a clever one that had some legs to it. Resetting it to the 1980s in New York, Aykroyd Ramis and director Ivan Reitman focused on the interplay of a group of scientists who had developed ghost-busting equipment and were starting a business, a simple concept that could be spun in any number of ways, appealing to audiences, the studio, and, naturally, toy companies. A franchise rights alone will make us rich beyond our wildest dreams. If you've ever seen the film, you'll know that the way the tech works isn't described in great detail. It doesn't need to be. This is one of the great lessons in story world design. Your audience doesn't need to understand the rules of the universe so long as your characters do. Explaining the mechanisms too much can lose some of the majesty of the situation. The DeLoreans are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells. They live inside me. Inside yourselves, yes. And we are symbionts with them. Symbionts? Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the Midichlorians, life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. Or introduce a plot element that breaks your previously established canon. With this in mind, I'm JulesWattCulture.com, and these are the 10 most hated retcon changes in Marvel Comics. The creators behind Ghostbusters understood that. The humor and the horror were the important parts. The gear, though cool, allowed for things to happen. You might have a good reason for how everything works in your head, but don't feel like you have to have it all in your script, novel, comic, or audio drama. The story, characters, and fun come first. So, for your own story world, how are you going to showcase that your characters understand the rules? I want you to write down a number of lines of dialogue that equal the number you chose for your rules at the beginning of this episode. These lines should come from the main characters in your story world should each showcase a different facet of the story world proper, and should each show that the characters understand what's going on. Plus, if at all possible, showcase the fun. For example, I would probably put Ghostbusters at a 5 on this scale. It's not as alien as Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, but it's not as simple a ghost story as The Babadook. 
you'll note that within the first 30 minutes of the film, you have at least five major moments in which the characters show that they understand the rules. I wouldn't say the experience was completely wasted. According to these new readings, I think we have an excellent chance of actually catching a ghost and holding it indefinitely. Well, well this is great. If the ionization rate is constant for all ectoplasmic entities, we could really bust some heads. This ecto-containment system that Spengler and I have in mind is going to require a load of bread to capitalize. Where are we going to get the money? Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters! Well, I could go to Hall of Records and check out the structural details in the building. Yeah, maybe the building itself has a history of psychic turbulence. Right, good idea. I could look for the name Zool in the usual literature. Spate's catalog. Tobin's spirit guide. Yeah. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Well, no sense worrying about it now. Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. Some of these are about the tech. Some of these are about ghosts. Some of these are about starting a business. Each shows that the characters are thinking through how they are going to engage in this world of entrepreneurialism, the supernatural, and technology. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. Don't cross the streams. It would be bad. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. All right, that's bad. Okay, all right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. Also, they're funny or hinting at the horror, the fun of Ghostbusters. Do the same for your world, taking your time to pause if you need to. These lines are more an exercise than anything that show that you're thinking of characters who fit into this world and who can explain it in a way that fits with your own fun. Remember, it's not as important if the rules of your world can be expounded by your audience as it is that they can be by your characters. Not all of your characters will buy into the rules of this world of wonder. Some characters will be outright dismissive. Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. Others will try to break the world. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. These characters are great for the POV of the audience because, even if they aren't main characters, they give a nice perspective and indirect characterization. Few of us are actual all-and-out geeks. There are many more of us who tolerate or do not tolerate the geeks among us. So, I heard you were going to propose to Brandy Spenning in some theme park. When are men going to learn that women want romance, not Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? Be fair, alright? Everyone wants Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. The film Ghostbusters has these figures, too. Principally, there's Dana Barrett, as played by Sigourney Weaver. She's a straight-laced, no-nonsense musician whose first experience with the supernatural is a vision of otherworldly horror that drives her from her apartment. And then I slammed the refrigerator door and I left. That was two days ago, and I, I haven't been back to my apartment. Generally, you don't see that kind of behavior in a major appliance. What do you think it was? Well, if I knew what it was, I wouldn't be here. Yet she doesn't quite buy into all of this Ghostbusters nonsense either. She's outright dismissive of Doctors Stance and Spengler when they suggest solutions to her problem. You know what it could be? Past life experience intruding on present time. Could be erased memories stored in the collective unconscious. I wouldn't rule out clairvoyance or telepathic contact either. I'm sorry. I don't believe in any of those things. 
and even more so of Dr. Venkman when he arrives at her place to flirt with her under the guise of searching for the supernatural. You know, you don't act like a scientist. They're usually pretty stiff. You're more like a game show host. Dana is the audience's stand-in. We want the fun of Ghostbusters to be real, yet we would admit to being skeptical of such a thing if faced with it in the real world. That Ray, Egon, and Peter believe in the world allows for the world to function. That Dana questions it allows for the audience to go along for the ride. Well, that's great. Either I have a monster in my kitchen or I'm completely crazy. I don't think you're crazy. Oh, good. That makes me feel so much better. Dana isn't the only one who questions this world. There's Walter Peck, the mayor of New York, and even a new hire for the Ghostbusters, my personal favorite, Winston Zedmore. Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? Uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. Each character is on a spectrum of belief to disbelief of the rules of the universe, from complete dismissal to Zedmore's I don't need to understand how it works to know that it does work. Hey, hey, oh. hold it! Now we're actually going to go before a federal judge and say that some moldy Babylonian god is going to drop in on Central Park West and start tearing up the city? Sumerian, not Babylonian. Yeah, big difference. <sighs> no offense, but I got to get my own lawyer. Your characters will exist on a similar spectrum of belief in this world, and why not? Even in our own real world, you would be hard-pressed to pick ten random strangers who agree on politics, philosophy, religion, or any soft science, let alone facts, like the fact that the Earth isn't flat. And the Earth is... Flat. Flat. The Earth is flat. My reality, my senses tell me that the Earth is flat and stationary. So for your own story world, I want you to detail the spectrum and the characters along it. Pick a number of characters in your world that are equal to the number you chose at the beginning of the episode and name them, or maybe create a stand-in to represent a faction in your universe, such as a political party, the general public, or a squad of overconfident soldiers. Look, man, I only need to know one thing. Where they are. Anytime, anywhere. Right, right. Regardless, I want you to number these figures from one to whatever number you wrote down. In order. Go from those who are complete non-believers to those who are almost believers, and write down two sentences. One describing what their level of disbelief means, and one describing why they feel that way. This will allow for your world to be populated by differentiated figures who can, through indirect characterization, reveal the rules of your universe for the audience. Pause if you need to, then begin again. The final bit of testing won't be possible until you finish your outline, treatment, or composition. Your rules can all make sense in the world to you and your characters, but if you don't give your audience a chance to poke holes in your world, you won't know if you've done it all right. You need to give your work to those who can tell you if your theory holds up in practice. Who are these people? Trusted friends. We all need someone who will be polite but honest with us about our work. Paid coverage writers. Just as important, these people are pros, or at least semi-pros. They see a lot. They'll know what to look for. People who you know will be critical of your work. Not everybody will be excited to see your art. Understanding common criticisms will help you know what you actually need to fix and what criticisms you can safely ignore because they're coming from people who won't like your work anyway. That's hard to quantify at this exact moment, of course. So let's take a piece of pragmatic advice to showcase how you can implement your rules in a way so that all three groups of people will follow along. Escalation. 
If you throw too much stuff at any audience, they're likely to be confused. Plus, there will be nowhere for your show, series, or feature to go. Everything will be up front, crowding out everything else, and leaving a horrific mess. Look to how Ghostbusters did it. For the first 30 minutes of the film, right up until we see the Ghostbusters in their uniforms, we see exactly two ghosts. The librarian at the beginning. I don't remember seeing any legs, but it definitely had arms because it reached out for me. Arms? I can't wait to get a look at this thing. And the terror dog in Dana's apartment. We see a few other elements of the supernatural, like floating books and eggs that cook themselves, but otherwise the rules of the world are close enough to our own that it's not unreasonable that the future Ghostbusters are kicked out of their university. Dr. Benkman, we believe that the purpose of science is to serve mankind. You, however, seem to regard science as some kind of dodge or hustle. Your theories are the worst kind of popular tripe, your methods are sloppy, and your conclusions are highly questionable. You are a poor scientist, Dr. Venkman. After getting a call to catch their first ghost, however, everything changes. We finally see the Ghostbusters use their tech in the hunt for Slimer. We then get glimpses of Ghostbusters all around New York. They're famous enough to be interviewed on television and to have their exploits charted in magazines. It's a lot of ghost stuff, but most of it is off-screen, sparing the budget and making the audience complicit. Still making headlines all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again. This time at the fashionable dance club, The Rose. The boys in gray slugged it out with a pretty pesky poltergeist, then stayed on to dance the night away with some of the lovely ladies who witnessed the disturbance. This is Casey Kasem. Now, on with the countdown. This changes after two terror dogs emerge out of the architecture in Dana's building. Dana herself is possessed, as is Vincent Tully, her goofy neighbor. What did you say your name was? Vince Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer. According to this, his name's Louis Tully. Lives on Central Park West. The EPA shuts the Ghostbusters down, the supernatural explode across the city, and things seem to be heading toward a literal apocalypse. Every ancient religion has its own myth about the end of the world. Myth? Ray, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead have been rising from the grave? All of it ties into Dana's original complaint, which stems from a nearly century-old ritual that tried to bring about the end of the world. The Ghostbusters have to make a heroic last stand against the forces of evil and a spectacular battle that has them facing off against an immortal horror named Gozer, first as a humanoid, then in the form of the Destructor, as chosen by Ray. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Had the film started with that sugar-filled villain, a Lovecraftian elder god beyond time, a wave of supernatural energy, and unearthly possession, audiences would have most likely rejected it. They needed to warm up to the concept before all the crazier ideas could be thrown at them. Using our test run metaphor, you don't start in sixth gear. You start from a standstill, go into first, and then shift up appropriately as you reach speed. Let's create such a trajectory for your own world. I want you to write a sentence overview for an entry into your story world. This is an exercise, so it can be something you've already created, something you're working on, or a brand new thing that you want to cook up, or just something random. The point here is to detail escalation. So after you finish with that sentence, I want you to write down a bullet point list with numbers. One, two, three, and four.
Each of these roughly corresponds to a quarter of your entry, but for the purposes of this exercise, I want you to write down a corresponding number of rules or fun bits of your story world. Thus, next to the number one, you might list a single element, like a first experience with magic. Next to number two, you might write down a school for magic and a prophecy of doom. Then next to three, you could write down dark forces hiding in a forbidden forest and magical allies and magical item, like a mirror that shows you everything you've always wanted. Finally, next to four, you'll have a potion of immortality and a series of magical puzzles and a showdown with an overpowered dark wizard and a final test in which the main character must use both real magic and his mind. Those familiar with a certain boy wizard will know which tale I'm talking about, and they'll also know that this doesn't begin to contain the majesty of the first entry in the Harry Potter series. What it does show is the escalation of that novel and film. The first part of Harry's world is much like our own, with just a little bit of magic, and then we get deeper, and deeper, and deeper, until finally Harry returns, with all of us having gone farther than we had dreamed because of the slow escalation that the narrative displayed. It feels strange to be going home, doesn't it? I'm not going home. Not really. This power is within your grasp as well, so give this a fair bit of thought. Look back to that sentence that you wrote down at the beginning of this episode. Why you chose that number to correspond with your rules. Make sure you're showcasing that why in each of these qualities, and that you're escalating some part of the weirdness. It's not just the quantity of fun of your world that you're putting in each quarter, it's the quality. You don't need to know how each of these elements ties into an overall plot right now. You can even swap them around or bend the rules a bit as you outline your work. Just make sure you're slowly building your entries, your rules, and your world. That will make sure that even the most reticent of audiences will give your narrative a test shot. This is just the last of three exercises, however. The most important piece of advice I can give you in this episode is to show your work to other people. You will need to develop a thick skin to deal with criticism, both justified and unjustified. You will also need to get used to dealing with notes. I can think of no television show or film that was accepted at first draft. All required input from talent, studios, and distribution channels. Finally, you need to get into the habit of wanting to see your world through the eyes of others. If all you cared about was your own opinion, you could create any number of works and then stuff them into a safety deposit box, a la J.D. Salinger. That's not why you're listening, though. You're listening because you want to share your vision with the world. Start with a few people to test your narrative engines, then take it to far grander places. Of course, you may be just along for the ride. That's fine, too. We have but one more episode in this current series of pragmatic tips for story world and narrative creation before we shift our proverbial gears. Please subscribe to this show on Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or any fine podcatcher. You can also find this and other episodes on babsw.buzzsprout.com, as well as other material at steelphilippec.com. Reach out to me at Words of Steel or Building a BSW on Twitter. I can't wait to hear what story engine you're souping up. Building a Better Story World is written, produced, recorded, and sound engineered by Steel Tyler Filipek. The theme song, Asia, is by Ilya Marfin via icons8.com. All narrative clips are used under the Fair Use Doctrine, as defined by Title 17 of the United States Code, subsection 107, 
in that they are used for nonprofit educational work for the purpose of analysis, have been transformed from their initial records by audio engineering for podcasting, and are not substantive of the entire work or function as a direct market substitute. Audio effects are provided by freesound.org under the Creative Commons license. If you feel that this production has unfairly used a piece of audio to which you own the rights, please contact helmstarmedia at gmail.com.